Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, we are on this journey around the themes, around the practices, and we're on generosity today, David. I are going to do this one together. I'm doing generosity. He's going to do hospitality next week. So we're going to look at this idea of generosity and living out of the overflow because that's what generosity is. And so the stats that you um, give us uh, um, out of the questionnaire were really interesting. So you can see here on the screen, do you regularly tithe? So while Generosity is not just about money. Obviously, we're going to talk about money today, and we're going to look at the principle how, as it works through money, it works through everything as we see that we go along. So do you regularly tithe? So you can see there, there's a percentage, about just over 50% that people say, yes, they give 10% regularly, some sporadically, um, some give what they can, um, and some give above, which is good. Um, and then the other question that was interesting was, where do you tithe? Um, and around 30 just percent of people tithe to church. Um, the second one is church and other charities. The third one is church and other um, acts of sacrificial living. Um, and, and others were in different bits and bobs, just not to go into, it doesn't really um, it's not really that important for the context of what I want to say. So all I'm saying today, these are great figures. They're great that um, you give us this. And so what I want to do today, I want to unpack a little bit about the whole theme of tithing. Before I do that, I, I need to unpack for you the idea that you know this, that God is a generous God. God is a God who is abounding in love. He's abundant in kindness. He is faithful. We see this right from the earliest passages of Scripture um, in Exodus when he appears to Moses. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, stood with him, and proclaimed the name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That word abounding means just coming towards you with force coming towards you with force. This idea, the language around this is always about abundance and coming towards you. And so as image bearers, then our original design is to be what God is, of course. That's what we do as image bearers. So in Genesis, uh, whenever Adam and Eve were uh, created, the, 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 the charge went out to multiply, to be fruitful, to fill the earth. To subdue, all of that language is about, is about taking over, about growing, about growth. So all of this language. And then, of course, one of the passages that we could unpack around Abraham in Genesis 12 was this idea, go from your country, this is what the Lord said to him, your people and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and you will be a blessing. See that? I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So this idea from the very beginning of time, I'm trying to set a, a foundation here that God's idea is to bless. He's to bless you, and then you in turn are to bless others. And God is a giving and generous God who blesses us. And we 
or the, we live out of that overflow. And so we see this right through into the New Testament. The greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus, because Jesus embodies a, a kind of generous, abounding love in his life, and ultimately at the cross, and he was generous when there was nothing in it for him, his generous spirit and his radical act of love. And one of my many favorite verses, but this one I think I've put on the screen more than most in church, because I love this verse. In Romans um, 5, it says that God demonstrated, demonstrated, God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, when we were broken, when we were messed up, when we were far from him, he demonstrated his love to us by giving um, Jesus for us. So that's not, not waiting till you got your act together, not waiting till you got it fixed up, but God, um, when we're broken, loving us. And so Jesus shows us that this life of the kingdom of God is defined in the opposite spirit of the world because we, we save up, we hoard, we gather things and, 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 and save, but actually the, the kingdom life is we, we find life by giving away. If you want to find your life, lose it. <laughs> and so it's kind of the um, upside down kingdom. And all of these things, that, uh, you know, Mark says this, that what does it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So there's something about learning that this kingdom that we have become part of is not a kingdom of a clenched fist but it's a kingdom of an open hand. And God always approaches us with an open hand. Not, he's not an angry, clenched fist God. He's a God of the open hand. And of course, we see that so much more under the new covenant. Now, there are some biggies regarding having the blessing of God in your life and the anointing of God to work through your life. And I imagine for the last 20 years or so, I've, I've tried to think about three massive big areas that I think the enemy will attack us all in, and that's around humility, integrity, and generosity. I think as leaders, as people in the kingdom, if we can guard those three, those are so important. Humility, because pride is an awful thing. Integrity, dishonesty is awful. And of course, generosity is a big thing because God is a, a generous God. And um, I think there are those absolutes. And of course, we all know this. If you want to find treasure, you have to dig for it, haven't you? This idea that you find treasure in the cave down by the sea or something, or, or you're digging in the ground and you hit something. And you, there, There's an idea of age old that if you want treasure, you've got to to dig for it. And we're created because there's treasure in deep places. And we're created to find that. We're created to be participators, not consumers. And yet we've built our church systems in the Western civilization to create environments for consumers. And of course, Adam and Eve, we talked already about them. Their job was to till the ground. They were to, to work, to dig, to work. And God would come down and talk about their produce and their fruitfulness um, every evening. I told you this story before that in holidays, um, we have these diving rods, and you throw them into the pool, and then you dive to get them. And so Daniel and I were in the pool, and, and um, we, we had fired these rods. And, and so the idea was you weren't allowed to look, and then you fire these five or six rods, and then we had to dive in and get them. But there was a couple in at the deep end, and Daniel kept diving to get them, couldn't get them, couldn't get down deep enough to get them. And I said, well, I'll get them. And he said, no, no, Dad, I want to get them. And I said, okay, son, here's what we do. You hold your breath. On the count of three, you hold your breath, and I'll help you. So um, I put my hand on his head, and we counted one, two, three, deep breath. 
And I pushed him down. And he come up with the rod. Ten minutes later. And uh, no, he come up with it. And he was so pleased that he come up with the diving rod. And, 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 and this idea. And I, I didn't want him to stay down there. He wasn't fussed and staying down there either. But he got them. And, and some stuff you have to dig deep for. And God may even have to push you down. God may even have to push you into those depths. I call them the now I know moments. Those moments where you step into destiny and you step into your, inher- into your inheritance. And, and so Genesis 22 is such a passage, you know, where, where Abram is asked to offer up his son Isaac, who he, whom he loves, and he's about to plunge the knife into him. And God appears and God says, don't, uh, the angel of the Lord appears, says, don't lay your hand on the lad, for now I know. Or did he not know before? Now I know God took him to a test. God took him to a, a place where, and there are those moments, and I could count probably four or five of those in the last 40 years of my life that there are moments that I know I crossed a line with something into inheritance. And I think at that moment, Abram claimed an inheritance. Now I'm an eternal security man. I hope um, I, I'm not going to dogfight you on that, but I believe it's the scripture. It's eternal salvation. And so if someone genuinely believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I think they inherit eternal salvation. So I don't believe you can lose that. Um, But I do believe this. I do believe you can lose your inheritance. I do believe that you you can walk into heaven with less than what you're intended to have. And I think that's those moments in life, those moments that are big moments. And God, as I say, pushes into the depths sometimes to make us claim uh, those inheritance moments in our lives. And so this is the idea because there are 30, they tell us that there are over 33,000 promises in the Bible. And every one of those promises is like a blank check to you and I. It's incredible. And every promise has a premise. Every promise has a premise to it. There's, there's a nift to it, all right? And there's something in this idea. And there, there, there are more of these promises related to generosity than any other. Why? Because you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And there's something God so loved the world that he gave. When you love someone, you give to them. You can't not do that. And, and so we need some of these anchors in our life. So our daily disciplines are in our prayer life and our Bible reading. And I think generosity you're giving is one of them. And you need to develop, I think, a, 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 a giving a tithe to God, at least a tithe, is essential if we want to see the kingdom of God advance in our life. And I'm going to show you a little bit about that really quickly. All right? Here's a good verse. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, remember, the author writes, puts it like this. I say unto you, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly. See that? Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. All right? Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. See the language? So that you in all things, at all times having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. Now, you'll all agree with me, the word believe is a pretty important word when you open the Bible. The word believe. All agree with that. If you're reading the authorized version, I know with the modern versions this may differ, but in the authorized version, the word believe is mentioned in the Bible 232 times. 
The word prayer or pray is a very important word. It's mentioned 373 times. Again, give or take modern translations now. The word love, you say, is a pretty important word. 714 times. The word give or giving, 2,222 times in the Bible. Interesting, isn't it? That there's something about the generosity of God. God is a generous God. And when we're generous, actually, we honor God. Here's a couple of verses that I came on. Proverbs 14. um, Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. All right? So it's a principle that honors God. And then I stumbled in this verse and sharing this with the lads, some of the guys who were down at the conference yesterday and not with us this morning were saying, Phil, what are you talking about? And I was sharing with them this verse yesterday. We were chatting about it, having a bit of fun, but chatting about this verse in Luke 11. Listen to this. If you free your heart of greed, showing compassion and true generosity to the poor, you will have more than clean hands, but you will be clean within. That's incredible. That actually the purity of your life is best demonstrated by generosity. Now, a couple of things about tithing, just three quick points um, about it this morning, all right? And I'm basing this out of Malachi 3. Don't worry about all the wording on the screen because I'm going to break it up a little bit and work through it for the next 10 minutes or so, all right? But let's read it. Ever since the time of your ancestors. Now, Malachi, last little book in the Old Testament, just before 400 years of silence, And he's challenging the children of Israel who right through all the major and the minor prophets, we can read about all their falling away and their falling away. And here Malachi says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my degrees. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me and the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, Malachi was writing to a nation that were in a pathetic state. They were in a really pathetic state. They were withholding their love and they were withholding their monies and they didn't even realize it's straight. Look at the language. He, he says, God says, will you return to me? And they say, how will we? They didn't even know they were away. They'd got so complacent in their life. They didn't know how to return to God. They didn't even know they were withholding love and they were withholding their finance from God there. And so what he's saying is, he's saying this is about like a reorientation of the human heart in the direction of God. And so that's what we need to do as the kingdom of God. We need to reorientate our hearts into the, into the ways and the direction of Christ that we become transmitters of the same affection and care that Christ modeled in his time. Now, this isn't just about money. This is about your heart. You can't serve God and money, the Bible says, but you can't actually serve God and anything. No man can serve two masters. And money promises you things that only God can give you. Money promises you security and significance and identity and independence and power and freedom. And, and, and yet, the, God's the only person who can give you those things. 
And so when it comes to this idea, it's interesting here in this passage that he uses the term robber. Will a man rob God? Like he could have used a thief. A thief sneaks in and pinches when nobody's about, but a robber does it to your face. He, he holds you up eye to eye to your face and robs you in broad daylight. And God's saying, you're doing this to the face of a holy God. And the point of giving is that it brings something back into your life that you couldn't get any other way. And this is why it's so important, all right? Now, three little principles on the passage. The first one is it all belongs to God. All belongs to God. Now, um, Matthew, would you come up? Matthew Froggett, would you come up a wee minute? So you don't mind, all right? Um, for the, for the, the purpose of this... For the purpose of this illustration, hi, Matthew. We've never, we haven't practiced this. All right. Um, for the purpose of this illustration, I am going to give Matthew 10 pounds. All right? All right? Just for the purpose of the illustration. All right? So there's five pounds. There's six. There's seven. There's eight. There's nine. And there's 10. All right? Now, could you give me a pound back? Can you tell me how did it feel giving me a pound back? Did it feel okay? Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you annoyed about having to give me a pound back? No. Why? Because it's yours. Ah, it's not his. Well, it is now. You can keep that. I'll keep the pound. You keep that. All right? Not a good deal. Shake hands on it. There you go. Good. Okay. <laughs> Do you see the principle? No, that's yours. You keep it. It's my gift to you. My, it's my gift to you. No, no. My, my gift. If I don't give it to you, I'll give it to somebody else. Who wants it? Who wants it? Come on, Mark. There you go. The idea is, the, de- the idea is, it wasn't his. It was mine. Now, this is the thing about this. It all belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to God. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I have a preacher friend, and he took his kid to McDonald's, and um, he went for a drive-through, and um, they got some French fries and whatever chicken nuggets, and and on the way home, he said his son was eating the French fries out of the box, and he reached over and took a couple of chips out of the box, and his little boy says to him, "Daddy, you can't have any of my French fries." Now, being a preacher. Um, he got three lessons out of that, all right? He says he immediately thought, he thought three things. He says the first thing he thought was that my son doesn't realize that his dad is the source of all French fries. <laughs> he is a source of all French fries. He, he, he would have none only for me. I drove him here. I bought him them. I put them into his hand. He wouldn't have any French fries only for me. That's the first lesson. He says the second lesson was I could take them away from him immediately. He says I could take them all off him immediately. Or he says I could have bought him 10 more boxes. It was totally up to me. I was in full control, he said. I could take them off him. I could give him more. And then he said the third thing. I love this. He said the third thing was he said I didn't actually really need them. He said, if I'd have wanted one, I'd have bought one for myself. He said, I didn't really actually need them. But he says, I was just trying to teach my wee boy to share. Here's the deal. God doesn't need your money. He's the source of all fries. 
and we would have nothing. We would have no French fries without him. And he could take them all away in a moment. He could take all of our finance away in a moment, or he could give us 10 times more if he wanted. God is in complete control, all right? And, and he's a champion fry giver. Now, it makes me realize that we're actually not the owners of this. We're just the managers. We're not the owners of it. Now, some arguments about that, some people say, well, should I, should I, should I tithe on my gross or should I tithe on my net? Now, I have a simple answer when somebody says that to me. I say, well, which one would you like the Lord to bless? Well, would you like him to just bless your net pay or would you like him to bless your gross pay? That's my answer to that. So, um, and then some people say to me, well, I'm, I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace, which frees me from the law. And to that, I, my answer is, so is grace less than the law? Is grace not meant to be more than the law. And because and the law says death, grace says life. The law says death, grace says freedom. If the law says 10%, then grace is exceedingly abundantly above. So the grace card isn't to let you give less. The grace card actually empowers you to give more. So, and, and, and if you want to go down the, this is, I'll give you this wee bit for free. All right, if you, if you want to go down the, the law line. Here's a couple of little principles. All right, really quickly. Tithing was long before the law of Moses. Abram gave a tenth to Melchizedek 430 years before the law. Jacob gave a tithe to God at Bethel long before the law. Now, of course, it was under the law. Leviticus 27 shows us that in the whole animals and food and money aspect, tithing was a big thing and wealth. And then, but then we've got tithing in the New Testament. Jesus made reference to it when he was condemning the Pharisees about the, they knew how to tithe in one thing, but they didn't know how to tithe in the right things. And then, of course, he illustrates that in Hebrews 7, tells us the writer to Hebrews, the whole story of Abraham with Melchizedek. So it's really important that we understand about law and grace. Second thing to say really quickly is God is writing a bigger story. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is an incredible thing. Now, lovely to hear the stories. Dixie's going into prison. Uh, into, into, he's not going into prison to stay. So uh, Dixie's going into prison every Thursday now to do Alpha. It's been quite incredible to see the results of that. How, how, how can we afford to do that? Well, because you give your tithe. And we're able to bring stuff in. We, poor Dixie bought coffee the first time he went in. They needed loads of coffee and then realized when he got there, you're not allowed to bring glass in. So that was all taken off him. But uh, so Dixie in the prisons. Um, Nicola with all the compassion works. Um, all the stuff that goes on in our drop-ins. Shelley and Shalom this afternoon and all week. The boys and, and Johnny and... And, and Mark and the team over in Cara all week, Reach, Aspire, all the, the things that are linked to this house. Let's leave a legacy. Let's rewrite the story of our city. Let's bring into the storehouse and let's rewrite this story because God is writing a bigger story. And when we all give, we can do so much more. It's beautiful. And then the third little point, it's not about finance, it's about faith. It's, uh, listen to this, he says, test me. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, actually, Moses 
commanded the people not to test God. Luke 4, when Jesus was speaking to the devil after at the temptation, he said, Don't, it's not right to test the Lord your God. And yet here in this passage, he actually commands us to test him. It's the only place in all the Bible the author uses the little word, prove me. It's the only place that God actually calls you to prove him is in the area of finance. And he says, test me, trust me, trust me with a sea. Will I not open the windows of heaven and pour out onto you a blessing that you'll not be able to withstand? Isn't that incredible? Imagine getting up some morning and saying, God, don't give me any more. Don't give me any more, God. I have no, I have no place to put it. This, this, is, this is the scripture. He said, trust me, test me. If you trust me with your kids, you trust me with your life, you trust me with your job, I'm the same Jesus that died for you. I'm the same Jesus that bore your sin. I'm the same Jesus that rose from the grave the third day in all power and liberty. I'm the same Jesus that asked you to give 10% of your wealth, at least. You've all went very quiet in me. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, what they did was they commanded the farmers not to glean to the edge of the fields. They said, don't glean, leave margins. Don't glean right to the hedges. Don't do that. Leave for the poor. And if something falls out of your basket when you're gleaning, don't pick it up. Leave it for the people coming behind. There was always this principle of reaching out to the poor and the underdog right throughout the scripture. And yet in the, in the Western civilization, what do we do? We glean to the edges of our fields. There's no margin. Stats show us that younger couples getting married today, and I know it's a big bad world out there, but stats show us that 20s and 30s at this moment in time are spending 10% more than they earn. Hence, there's plastic everywhere, and you get them in the post all the time. I have a credit card, and that, that a Tesco's credit card, and... and, and uh, Honestly, every month you get a, they, they raise the, that started off with a thousand pound, they would allow me to have, I think it's about 10,000 now, they don't even use the thing, but they're always giving you more, they're always giving you more, offering you more, always this way to spend, easy way to spend, but you have to pay it off, and then the problem is they, they, they load you with interest rates, and, and they're, they're bluffed, because they look like they're per annum and they're per month, and so they're People are just getting into debt. And here's the thing. Jesus never shied away from talking about money. And my challenge to you as a church today is stop gleaning to the edge of your fields. Leave a margin so you can give to the poor. Leave a margin. Here, we'll give you a little glimpse into a little bit of fake spirituality. And these are just stats off Google. But the average Christian in the UK today only gives about 2.5% of their income to the kingdom of God. Now, hear me in this. Hear me. This isn't about we need more money. Please hear me in this. this we didn't do this. It's a, it's, a, it's a quality of Jesus' life. This is because you, God, God is the source of all fries. He doesn't need your money. But you desperately need the blessing that it opens in your life when you give. That's what this is about, all right? We have the most generous church, honestly, we have. And I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. So this isn't about things are bad and we need more money, all right? Things aren't bad. The economy, God's not weak, all right? And he's no man's debtor. So listen to me, listen to me. Here it says, only, only 9% of all born-again adults give 10% of their income. And the last study of how generous we are with our time 
shows that only 21% of Christians volunteer in church at any, uh, at any week. And yet we read if a man gives sparingly, he sows sparingly. Uh, if, if, or, uh, if, he, if, he, if he gives generously, then he reaps generously. There's this idea. Uh, I, sometimes when I go to the cinema, um, I was going to say the pictures there, but that would give away my age. But uh, sometimes when I go to the cinema and you get a box of, of popcorn and they fill the box up with popcorn. And then I do this little thing when I'm walking towards where you show your ticket, I give the box a shake. And then I think, oh, I've got cheated there. It went down about two inches. And you know, you think to yourself, I'm going to go back. And you go, no, don't do that. Um, but, but here's the thing. Here's, here's what the Bible says about giving. Give, and it will be given unto you. Do you see the process of that? See who gives first? You give, and it's given unto you. You're the one who starts this process. And when it starts, it's good measure. It's pressed down. God's going to fill that popcorn box right to the top. He's going to shake it. He's going to make sure it's full. He's going to make sure when you sit down to watch your movie, it's going to run out all over your lap because it's going to be pressed down, shaken together. For the measure you use, he says, will be measured out to you. And again, I say to you, this isn't just about money. If you're generous with your judgment, you'll be judged generously. If you're generous with your service, you'll be served generously. If you're generous with your trust, people will trust you generously. Respect, forgiveness, on and on we go. But this is the idea. You want to live a blessed life? You need to live a generous life. It has to be a generous life. And this is transferable in any culture. Steve is going to come up uh, while I draw you a little diagram. And we're going to finish with a song. But here's, here's a little thought, right? Um, when it comes to covenant, a good way to study covenant, and the covenant's been sort of my little pet theme all my life, and a good way to study covenant is to think about the cross. And so when you think about the cross, you know we've got the old covenant, and we've got the new covenant, right? And so um, you think about what actually, what actually stopped at the cross, what changed at the cross, and what made it through the cross, all right? So, so if you want to think of what stopped at the cross, I would suggest to you animal sacrifice stopped at the cross, right? There's no New Testament record of animal sacrifice, because this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of the majesty and high. So animal sacrifice stopped at the cross, all right? It died in the old covenant. All right, because it was a new and better thing. Now, something, several things changed at the, at the cross. For instance, one of the things that changed at the cross was the Sabbath. So the Sabbath now, instead of being a day, is a culture and a, and a, and a, and a, a process of your heart. All right, so the day, this changed. So, so something stopped, animal sacrifice. Something changed, the Sabbath it's no longer a day. It's now something we breed into our culture as believers that we need to give our time and our Sabbath to God, all right? But there's some things that I think went through the cross, right? So, for instance, Davidic worship, the whole worship system of David after those 40 years actually went through the cross. God is a God who worships and wants us to worship Him in spirit and truth. Um, and one of the things I'm going to suggest to you that went through the cross is, is the tithing principle. I think it was before, it was before the law. It was ratified in the law. 
And Jesus talked about it in the New Covenant. Now, I say that, and I say this to you, that tithing should be the beginning. All right? I don't think that the... I think that grace redeems us from just being a tithe. Grace redeems it from just being a tithe. And, and, and there's something happens. If, if you don't give that, something happens that, that holds us back from what God really wants to give. All right? So this is really, really good. And churches are just... You need to trust Jesus in this. You need to trust the church in this. You need to trust generosity in this. Now, I tell this story and then we finish and we're going to sing, right? I told you this story before that um, I have a friend and he was sat down last summer to watch the rugby, lovely summer's day. The patio door was open. His kid was playing outside in the monkey bars. Some of you have heard this story. And uh, he's playing in the monkey bars and he's got, just got his brew, just got his cup of tea. He's got his sit, sitting down. The rugby just started and he hears this, Daddy! I'm stuck on the monkey bars. And he, uh, he shouts out through the patio door. He says, be all right. Get yourself out. Really concerned, Dad. You know what we're like. You'll be fine, son. Just wriggle there and you'll get out okay. Daddy, Daddy, I can't get out. So he realized he couldn't encourage him out. He thought he'd instruct him out. So he says, just put one arm up and... Put that left leg down and you'll get out all right. Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck. I can't get out. So he thought, I can't encourage him out. I can't instruct him out. I'll condemn him out. What are you doing on them monkey bars anyway? Sure you knew I was watching the rugby. You know what we do? And, and, Daddy, Daddy, I'm stuck. I can't get out. And eventually he realized he couldn't encourage him out. He couldn't instruct him out and he couldn't condemn him out. And so he said, fella, to set my cuppa down, I had to go out, I had to climb up into the monkey bars. And he said, I climbed along the top of the monkey bars. He said, I don't know how he got the way he was. He was all intertwined around him. So he says, I got, I'm laying on top of these monkey bars. He said, I got a leg out and I got his arm out. And he says, eventually I lowered him down onto the ground. And he says, just as I lowered him round down onto the ground, my wife drove in from, from the shop. And his wife gets out of the car and goes, what are you doing playing in the monkey bars? <laughs> that was an interesting conversation. I'll not tell you the rest of that story. So, um, but here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is why we give. He could have, he could have encouraged us out of our sin. Heaven knows he could have instructed us out in some shape or form. Thank God he didn't condemn us out. But he came. And he climbed into the monkey bars of our sin. Into the contortion and wickedness of our souls. And the prophet Isaiah in his 52nd chapter said... He was marred and twisted and broken in those monkey bars more than any man. He came. He came. He came. That's why Paul writes the church at Rome. 
He says, the least you could do. For the one that came and climbed into the monkey bars of your sin and brokenness, it's the least that you could do. It's the least that you could do. When your money comes in, to take 10%, because if you don't do it, first fruits, you'll not do it. If you wait till you pay everything, you won't do it. And here's the thing. If you do it as first fruits, God will never let you down. I will guarantee you, you will never want. You will never want. That's a principle of the Bible that I can stake my life on. And I have staked my life on it for the last 40 years. I can tell you that, hand and heart. It's a giving principle. He is no man's debtor. So let's, please hear this from a father and from your pastor today. This is not about you giving money. This is about you receiving only what that giving principle will open up in your life. And I don't want your kids and your grandkids, I don't want them to be held back from what God has for them. So let's stand, let's worship, and then I'll pray, and that's us over. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.